My name is Daniel. I am the community pastor here. It's my honor to get a chance to share with you in the absence of Pastor Brad and Laura. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of John? If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to go to uh, your app store on your phone, download the Version Bible app. We are on that app, by the way, if you go to the events tab in the app, you can follow along with today's message, see the scripture that we're going to use, take notes. There's a reading plan that goes along. I would encourage you to check that out and let it help you in your daily devotional time. But we are kicking off a brand new series today called Gospel 316. And what that is, is we are going to be looking at the gospel, the message of Jesus, the good news of our faith. We're going to be looking at the gospel for the next three weeks through the lens of probably the most popular, well-known scripture in all of the Bible, John 316. Now you say, well, Daniel, isn't that a little basic? Isn't that a little elementary? You know, as long as I've been in church, I've heard John 3.16 referenced a million times. I don't know that I've ever heard a message out of John 3.16, let alone an entire series out of John 3.16. And so this passage is so rich in what it says about who God is, what Jesus has done, our hope in him. And so we're going to be taking a look at that for the next three weeks. Now I'm going to be reading John 3.16 out of the New International Version. For those of you who know and have been at Core Church a long time, I know that's scandalous. I know we read out of the NLT here at Core Church, but I'm mad with power, guys. I've got the mic. Brad's in, Brad's in Africa. We're going to read out of the NIV today. It's just going to happen. No one tell him, please. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Today, we're going to be looking at the gospel. And so, Father, we pray today that you would open up your word to us, God. We open up our heart to you. We open up our mind to you. Speak to us today, God. Challenge us today. Help us to grow in our faith today. Lord, maybe there's some people here that they were drugged here. They have no idea about who you are. They don't even believe in you, God. I just, I just pray that you would speak to them today and that they would be open just to hear, just, just to hear and, and just to see. And God, for all, for those of us that have been following you for a long time, God, that you would deepen our understanding of what we believe. And God, that, that at the end of this, Lord, that we'd be transformed and changed by the power of your word. Not my words, God, but by the power of your word. And if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can I get a big amen? Amen. You guys can be seated. So um, for those of you that, that don't know, I have three kids. I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. And I've got, you know, I feel like I'm doing pretty good at the dad thing. Can I, can I just be honest? So my wife was um, out of town for the weekend last couple of days. Nothing, nothing compared to what Pastor Eric has gone through because his wife has been in Africa for the past week and a half. So, I mean, that's like the topper story right there. Nothing, nothing can top that. But, but you know, I've, I've had to, like, keep the kids alive and everything. You know, and I've, I've done that and done a pretty good job. Even cleaned the house before my wife came back. You know, so it's Valentine's Day early at the Surratt household. That's all I'm saying. But one of the hardest things about being a parent, and if, if you're a parent or if you've been around young kids and you've had tried to have a conversation with young kids, you know this to be true. One of the hardest things is that when you're around young kids, you have to be a walking dictionary because they will always ask you what a word that you use means. And so 
nowadays we have it so easy, don't we? Because we can cheat. You know, we can say, um, well, honey, of course I can tell you what extravagant means. Hey, Alexa, what does extravagant mean? You know, and, or hey, Siri, you know, and we, we can do that. I take pride in the fact that, that I don't cheat when my kids ask me because, you know, I kind of explain what words mean for a living. You know, it's what we're doing here today. And so I'm like, if I can't do this to my kids, then I, I just need to look for a new career field. Because, you know, there's a couple of rules when you're trying to explain something to your kids. Obviously, you can't use the word they asked you about in the definition. You know, so they can't be like, you can't be like, you know, Daddy, what does extravagant mean? You know, honey, it's just when something's extravagant. You know, you, you can't do that. And, and the other thing is, you know, you can't really use the dictionary definition when you're trying to explain it to your kids because they don't understand that, right? And so if you try to explain that to them, now all of a sudden you have 10 more words you have to try to define for your kids. So you have to do it in a way that's right at their level. And I feel like I'm pretty good at doing this. Except for a few weeks ago when my 7-year-old, Claire, she asked, we were having a conversation. I don't even remember what we were talking about. But she, had, she asked me, I said something to her. I said, well, honey, that's technically true. And she said, Dad, what does technically true mean? Now, some of you right now, you're thinking, okay, how would I define technically true to a seven-year-old? And I want to tell you guys, for some reason, my brain fried. It completely stumped me. I'm like, well, honey, you know, it's, it's when something is true, but it's not true, but, but it is true. It, I, Alexa, what does technically true mean? You know, it's like, and you finally you get stumped to the point where it's, or, you know, you use the trump card. It's like, I don't know, honey, go ask your mother. You know, and that's, that's the way. And, and, you know, there's a lot of words I found out that we use all the time that we may not know the true meaning of. I did, I did some research, and, of course, we could do a long list, but just a couple of them just, just for fun. One of them is the word ultimate. Now, when we think of the word ultimate, of course, we think of the very best, the absolute peak, the ultimate warrior. You know, all you old WWE fans, you know, the ultimate, you know, we think of the best. But ultimate, the main definition of ultimate actually means the last item on a list. So when you make your grocery list, when you go to the store, the ultimate item is the last item on the list. And, you know, you need Bregs and ultimately milk. You know, it's, it's the last item. On, I had no idea. You know, one of the other words that we use that sometimes we don't know the meaning of is the word enormity. We hear the word enormity. We think of the enormity of, of our love and the enormity of God or just something that's huge and massive because it sounds like enormous. The enormity of it. But the word enormity does mean huge and massive, but it actually means uh, massively evil or massively immoral. And so it's huge, but only in a negative context. So if you bought a Valentine's Day card for your spouse, speaking of the enormity of your love for them, buy a different card now. Run, get it exchanged. It does not mean what you think it means. And so when it comes to our faith, if you've been around church for a while, there are words that we use all the time. But I think if I really pressed you on them, if I brought you up on stage, put the mic in your face, and I asked you to define it, you would do probably exactly what I did with Claire. You'd be like, well, um, I mean, it kind of means Jesus, pray, um, Hey, hey, pastor, what does, you know, it's like you would do that same thing where we, we use these words, but do we really know what they are? Words like grace and salvation and holiness and words like that. We're not going to get into all those, but there is one word today that we're going to unpack, and that's the word gospel. 
It's a word that you hear all the time in church. It's a word you hear all the time in Christian circles, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel according to Mark. The go- we hear this word gospel, but what does gospel really mean? See, when I hear the word gospel, I immediately think of a couple of things. One, just I think just being in this part of the country and, um, you know, growing up in church, I immediately think of southern gospel. Now, some of you, you ain't know what Southern gospel is. I want, I want to educate you on Southern gospel. Imagine that there's a room like this full of seasoned believers, um, and they're, they're all sitting around the piano, and uh, all the women have giant hair and giant eye mascara makeup stuff going on, and they're all singing All Fly Away in perfect four-point harmony. That, that is what I think of when I think of Southern gospel. Gaither vocal band, you know, in the garden, I'll fly away. All, if you've been raised in church, you know what I'm talking about. They have those concerts at some of our sister churches. Um, and, and so that was a joke for five of you, but it was hilarious. You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, another thing I think of when I hear the word gospel is, I don't know, I think of that like stereotypical like fire and brimstone preacher you know, the guy who's, like, been rocking the same suit since, like, 1984. And, you know, when he says it, he puts too much emphasis on the last syllable of it. You know, it's, it's not gospel. It's gospel. Ha! You know, it's like that guy. That's what I think of when I think of gospel. This kind of old-timey word. The word gospel actually means good news. Good news. It's the good news of Jesus. Now, some of you may have known that. But once again, what is the good news? What is the good? Do we really understand it? Do we really know it? Do we really have a working knowledge of what the gospel is, of what this good news is? And I, I would venture to say that a lot of Christians today don't have an understanding of the gospel. And the reason that is, is when we don't understand the gospel, it leads to some problems in our faith. It leads to some problems in our walk with God. One of it is, if we don't understand the gospel, then we won't share the gospel. And for many of us, we have a hesitancy to share the gospel because, honestly, we don't really know it that well for ourselves. I think it's about Jesus and something about a cross and heaven and maybe angels are in there. I don't, there's a book called, like, Leviticus. I, I don't, you know, there's some, we don't know the gospel. Because of that, we don't take the chance to share it. Maybe we're afraid we're going to be asked a question that we don't know the answer to. And so because of that, it causes hesitancy in us to share the gospel when we don't know the gospel really well. One of the things that happens when we don't know the gospel is that we don't appreciate the gospel. When this happens, all of a sudden the things of God just become commonplace to us. Church is just, oh, it's just that thing I have to do when I feel like getting around to it. The Bible is that book on the shelf that I know I should read, but I don't do. Prayer is that thing that I do when I have no other option and I I need to send up literally a Hail Mary and ask God to come and, and Help me out in this situation. And we lose our appreciation for the things of God. We don't have an appreciation. All of a sudden, the things of God become very commonplace. And I think a lot of that stems back to we fundamentally don't understand what it is that God has done for us and what it is that Jesus has done for us. We don't fundamentally understand the message of the gospel. I think one other thing that happens when we don't understand the gospel is ultimately then we're not transformed by the gospel. And as a pastor, one of the things that that lights me up, one of the things that breaks my heart is that that we can come in week after week, and we can sing songs about Jesus, and we can hear messages, and we can 
put Christians, we can put scriptures on Instagram, and we can shop at Mardell, we can do all of these things, but our lives are not transformed by the power of the gospel. How can we come in and have an encounter with Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, and leave the same way? Yet so many times we do it, I do it in my life, and I think fundamentally it comes back down to we lose sight of what the gospel really is. The gospel is the power to transform. The gospel is something that we can stand in awe of. And ultimately, the gospel is something that we can share with the world. But we have to understand it because everything that happens in our spiritual house is laid on the foundation of the gospel. Everything that we, we grow on, you know, all the deep truth, and all, everything that happens has to be laid on a foundation of understanding the gospel. What did God do? Who is Jesus? What is, what is the message of John 3.16? And so today, we are going to look at what the gospel is. We're going to take a look at it through the lens of John 3.16. I think it's one of the most succinct passages of Scripture that lays out what the gospel is. Obviously, we could get way deeper in this, but I think this will be good for us to lay a foundation of my hope for you today is that you're going to leave this place being able to articulate what the gospel is that you're going to leave this place today being able to understand and being able to let it apply and have roots in your faith and in your life and in your heart so that you won't be afraid to share it, so that you'll have a new appreciation for it, a new love for it, and ultimately so that we can be transformed by it, that we will never be the same again, that we are transformed into the image of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So are you ready to get into it? Are you ready? Are you ready to get into it? Thank you, thank you. It's like, I know, I know it's late, people, but come on, hang with me, hang with me. Here we go. So we're going to open up John 3.16. First part of John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world. I want to say loved, for God so loved the world. The first thing that we have to understand about the gospel is this, that the gospel begins with the love of God. The gospel story begins with the love of God, that love is the place where God starts from with us. So um, I, am, I, I am an introvert by nature. And being a pastor, that's, that's not always cohesive with uh, my, my life calling. And so I've learned to kind of become more extroverted, and I can, I can put on an extroverted front when I need to. But at the core of who I am, I, I am an introvert. I, you know, I'm quiet. I'm reserved. You know, if there's a conversation going on, I, I want to listen or, you know, just maybe look for a spot. I, I want to dominate the conversation. I'm just not wired that way. I'm an introvert by nature. Any introverts know? I'm just kidding. You're an introvert. You're not going to raise your hands. I just, you know. Um, and, and so I, I've learned to, you know, kind of be a functional introvert, so to speak, as I've gotten older. But was not always the case in my life. For example, when I was in high school, I went to this youth group. And um, as I was in youth group, I was, uh, you know, part of the worship team. So I'm up there, like, leading, you know, worship on the keyboard, singing, Lord, I lift your name on high, and open the eyes of my heart, and, you know, all, all the great hymns of the faith. Um, that's a joke for some of you that have been in the church for a little bit. And, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm up in front of the youth group every week. And so one day, we had this event at, at youth group. And I don't remember what it was. It was a lock-in or pizza party or something like that. And, and I got to talking to this girl named Alicia. And Alicia had been coming to the youth group for quite some time, but, you know, we just never ran in the same circles and everything. So this happened to kind of be at a place where we're talking during this youth group, youth group event. And I remember after talking with Alicia for a while, she said something to me. She said, wow, you're nothing like I thought you were like. 
example, like, well, what, what, did you, what did you think I was like? What, what do you mean by that statement? Now I'm very nervous. And she said, man, I, for the longest time, I did not like you, like, at all. And I'm like, this conversation is heading downhill fast. The train is coming off the track. She's like, I, I used to, I just thought you were so stuck up. And, and um, she's like, and I just, and I'm like, what, what did you mean? How, how could you think I was stuck? She said, well, you never talked to me. I was like, I, it's because I don't talk to anyone. I'm an introvert. You know, it's like, I, I wish I had words then, you know, but it's like, and she thought I was so stuck up. And because of that, it colored everything that, that I did. It colored it in her mind. Oh, well, he didn't talk. He's, there he is. He's just being so stuck up. He's just hanging out with his friends. He just thinks he's too cool. He just, it colored everything that I did because that was her impression of me was that I was stuck up. And I, I, I want to submit to you today that for, for many people in, in this place and in our world today, that their impression of God is not that he's a God of love. But their impression of God is that he's a God of judgment, that he's a God of hate, that he's a God of division, that he's a God that wants to judge you. And instead of coming at an understanding that God is a God that starts with love, they think God is a God that starts with judgment, that God is a God that unless I measure up, unless I'm a good person, unless I do all the right things, that he wants nothing to do with me. And it colors everything that they think and understand about God because their impression of him is incorrect. And I want to tell you today, I love what John says. God so loved the world. Not that God was so mad with the world. Not that God was so fed up with the world. Not that God so desired to judge the world. Not that God was up there and he's the bully with the magnifying glass and we're the ants and he just can't wait to zap us and watch us burn. But that God so loved the world that he starts with us from a position of love. Now, I know this sounds simple, but this has huge implications because this means that you don't have to measure up for God to love you, that you don't have to get everything right for God to love you, that you don't have to earn his love, but you start from a place where he has already extended love toward you. This is who our God is, that God is a God that says, look, you don't have to earn your way into my love. I already love you, that he's a God that says, look, I'm not looking to retaliate against you. I want to have relationship with you, that he's a God that says, look, you don't have to get everything right. I've already offered my love, and I've already offered myself to you. This is who our God is. He starts with us from a place of love, but so many times we think, man, I've got to get it right. I've got to do better. I've got to straighten up. I've got to be a better person. I've got to do all of these things within ourselves. And I'll tell you, you can never do enough good to get to God. And that's why God has extended himself to us. In fact, I will put it this way, that the gospel message, the gospel is not a message of how we get to God. It's not a message of how you live a better life, of how you check the boxes, of how you become the perfect little Christian, whatever that is. It's not a message of how you get to God. But the gospel is a message of how God in love has already got to you, that he's already came to you, that he's already revealed himself in love to us. This is the message of the gospel, not how you live better, not how you do the things right, not how you mold yourself into some stereotype of what you think you need to be, but the message of the gospel is that God has already come to us in love, that he has made the first step in the relationship with us. This is who our God is. This is a God that begins 
from a position of love, not from one of hate, not from one of judgment, not from one of anger, not even from one of tolerance where he barely puts up with us. It says he so loved the world. He so loved you and me. And not only did God just say that he loved us, God demonstrated his love for us. He proved it. And how did he do that? The next part of this passage, it says that he gave his one and only son. So first we see that the gospel starts, begins with the love of God. The next thing we see is that the gospel centers around the work of Christ. The gospel centers around the work of Christ. God didn't just say he loved us, but he proved his love for us through the person of Jesus. Now, men, Valentine's Day is this Friday. I don't think you heard me. Husbands, Valentine's Day is this Friday. Dude, I am trying to help you out. Pull out your phone. Valentine's Day is this Friday. Now, ladies, you can tune out here for just a second. I need to talk to my brothers. I need to encourage them in the faith. You can get on Facebook, Twitter right now. Just tweet out about how you're listening to the most incredible message you've ever heard in your life about the gospel of Jesus. Because I need to talk to my men for a second. Dudes, hear me out. You can tell your woman how much you love her. Baby, you still fine. Girl, you make my heart go pitter. You can tell her, you can tell her all you want how much you love her. You can tell her all you want. What, you know, how much she means to you and all. You can tell her till you're blue in the face. Friday, if you show up with a Snickers bar and a 32 ounce from Casey's, you have not demonstrated what your words have said. You are writing checks with your mouth that your actions did not cash. Do you understand what I'm saying, brothers? So, men, we are going to treat our women right this Valentine's Day. Now, that was a good spot for a name. Bro- Guys, I am trying to help you out. Come on. God did not just tell us that he loves us, but he proved his love for us by sending Jesus. Now, it begs the question. It begs the question. I read this, and we say, time out. Why did God have to send Jesus? Like, what was that all about? Why, what's the whole Jesus thing about, like, I hear about Jesus. Why did Jesus actually have to come? Like, why the cross? Why all? Like, why Jesus? And the answer for that is because of this word sin. Jesus had to come because of sin. Now, what sin is, is sin is what we, when we do things that fall short of the standard that God set. Sin is when we do things, and what sin does is sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks the relationship you have with God, and sin breaks the relationship you have with one another, that we have one with another. Every time I lie, what's that doing? It's breaking relationship. Every time I'm jealous, what is that doing? It's breaking relationship. Every time I look lustfully, what is that doing? It's breaking relationship. Every time I try to cover something up, what is that doing? It's breaking relationship. You hear what I'm saying? So sin breaks relationship with God and with one another. And the problem is, we all have a sin problem. Paul put it this way in Romans 3.23. He said, for everyone, everyone say everyone, for everyone has sinned. You know what? I looked up everyone in the Greek, and you know what everyone means in the Greek? Everyone. All of us. We all have a sin problem. Well, my sin problem is not as bad as I know who I'm sitting next to. We all have 
a sin problem. Why? Because we all fall short of God's glorious standard. What does it mean to fall short? It means just as the San Francisco 49ers fell short of the glorious standard raised by Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs that no matter what they did, no matter what Nick Bosa and that weak defense did, they could not overcome the gap of the standard raised. They fell short. And we all fall short at times. No matter how hard we work, no matter how much we try to make it better, no matter how much we say, I'm going to do right the next time. I'm going to have more discipline the next time. I'm going to do better the next time. We fall short. And every single one of us, myself included, myself maybe more, we all fall short. For everyone has sinned. This is the problem. It breaks the relationship in our life. That every time I fall short, what's happening is I'm damaging my relationship a little bit more with the people I love here. I'm damaging my relationship more with my heavenly Father. And Paul goes on to say it this way in Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. It's not, just, it's not just something I can keep under control. It's not just something that's no big deal. It's not just something that's a, a flaw of my personality. The wages of sin, the wages of falling short is death. It's emotional death. It's relational death. It's mental death. It's spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. Now, when we hear this, we have to understand that, that this is why God sent Jesus. And this is why God deals with sin. Not because he's a God who just, you know, is jolly to be a God of judgment. Like, that's what he likes. He's just, oh, I'm so happy I'm going to judge people. That, that God deals with us and God deals with our sin because he loves us. Remember that first point, that the gospel begins with the love of God. That God deals with the sin issue in our life, not because he wants to condemn you, not because he wants to judge you, not because he wants to control you and tell you how to live and be a killjoy and be a fun hater and take all the fun out of your life. God deals with the sin issue because he knows if left unchecked, it will lead to death. That just like a loving parent, with us, just like I do with my kids, I don't let my toddler stick a fork in the electrical outlet. No matter how much fun he thinks that's going to be, I don't let him do it. Why? The wages of that action is death. And just that same way, God is with us, that he puts boundaries on our life. And he says, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. Why? Not because he wants to judge us, but because he understands that the wages of sin is death. And he wants life for us. He wants good for us. He wants hope for us. And this is how the gospel starts with love. When he deals with us, even in dealing with our sin, he deals with it out of a position of love. That God so loved the world. Finally, Paul goes on to say in Romans 5.8, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners, that God didn't just say that he loves us. God didn't just say don't sin. God didn't just say, hey, stop doing that. But God demonstrated the way out. He showed his love for us through the life and through the death of Jesus. And I think this is so powerful because, I mean, God's God, right? God can do whatever he wants to do. So God could have just snapped his fingers 
He said, okay, everyone's, you know, you're redeemed. He could have, he could have, I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he sent Jesus. From a baby on, Jesus walked in our shoes. He felt hunger. He felt tiredness. He felt pain. He felt loneliness. He walked with us, and he showed us the way to the Father. He showed us how to pray. He showed us how to treat one another. He showed us how to live in relationship with God the Father, that he just didn't tell us what to do, but he showed us what to do. And then ultimately, he laid down his life on a cross to pay the penalty, to pay the price for our sin. Church, Jesus's life showed us a better way, and his death showed us the price he'd pay. His life showed us a better way, and his death showed the price that he'd pay. I want to sidestep on something here, because I think this is really important. A lot of us, we have a fundamental problem with God because of this issue that we see evil in the world. We see things that people have done, maybe things that people have done to us, people that have done things against us, things that were wrong. No getting around it. Things that were wrong, things that were evil. And you see them go free. And you see them not be punished. And you think, if God was real, if God was fair, somebody needs to pay for that. That cannot go unanswered. If God is a God of justice, how can someone go free? Someone has to pay the price for what that person did to me. Someone has to pay the price for the evil that that person is doing for others. Can I tell you, church, that someone has paid the price? That Jesus has paid the price for my sin. And Jesus has paid the price for your sin. And Jesus has paid the price that none of us could ever pay, no matter what it is, no matter what thing it is, no matter what area of fallen short, that Jesus has paid the price and that God has extended his love through the work of Jesus to show us the way to God and to pay the price that we could not pay for the shortcoming that we have in our life. So God wants to restore the relationship that he had with us. And the gospel message provides a way for us to be restored back in relationship with God the Father and to walk in relationship with one another. This is why we say all the time at the core of who we are is loving God and loving people. This is the message of the gospel, that we can have fellowship with God and we can have fellowship one with another, that the sin that breaks relationship doesn't have to have a hold of you anymore, that the sin that breaks the relationship and that distance you feel with God, that you don't have to feel that distance, the distance that sin puts in your own relationships, maybe the distance that you have in your marriage, the distance that you have in your family, the distance that you have, the disconnect, that God can heal that because he has given Jesus the power to break the authority of sin in our life. The gospel centers around the work of Jesus. So we see that the gospel begins with the love of God. It centers around the work of Christ. And finally, we see John go on to say that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Finally, the gospel results in eternal life. The gospel results in eternal life. Eternal life means that we can have fellowship with God now and forever in heaven. And I want to tell you, it's kind of weird to talk about heaven anymore. It kind of seems like I don't know, like old-fashioned or like super spiritual to talk about heaven. Like, because heaven's, the, the thought of heaven's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, you know, we can't picture it. And so 
For, for some of us, we think of heaven and it's like fat babies, you know, with wings and harps, you know, on clouds, you know, that, that are like producing toilet paper for whatever reason. You know, it's like, you know, we think of that or, you know, we, you hear heaven, you hear like people worshiping and people singing and you're like, okay, are we going to do that like all the time? Is heaven just going to be like a never-ending worship service? Like, I mean, that's good for like Pastor Eric and the worship team, but Daniel, I, I can't make it 20 minutes before my knees start hurting, man. You know, by the time we're getting to that third song, I'm like, dude, how much longer are we going to go? And then Pastor Daniel comes out and makes us sing it again. And I'm like, I I need to see a chair before I see a victory. Come on, I need to sit down. And and we think, what what is heaven? I want to tell you, the the hope of heaven is so foundational to our faith. The early church faced horrendous persecution. And, and so the, I was having dinner with someone the other night, and we were talking be, because we're weird. We got to talking about how the early church, you know, faced martyrdom and, and not just, like, killed, but tortured in, in gross, heinous ways. In the, nor- the enormity of the evil that, that happened with them was, I mean, just, it was awful. And, and not one moment did they say, well, if God was real, we wouldn't be suffering like this. If God was real, we wouldn't be getting ready to be fed to lions. If God was real, I wouldn't be getting ready to be sawed in half. For my, where is God to protect me? Instead, the early church understood that their hope was not in this world, that their deliverance was not in this life, that their hope is in heaven. And for us today, we need to understand that the fullness of our faith, the fullness of the realization of our faith does not come from God doing everything we want him to do in the here and now. That it's not about you just living your best life now and you getting everything that you want now and you finding justice and everything and peace and and everything to its fullest extent now. But our full and complete healing is not in this life, but it is in the life to come. The hope of heaven is so foundational to the gospel. It's not just about what God does for us in this life, but God has prepared a way for us to be fully restored, for his creation to be fully restored restored back to him. We may not see it in this life, but if we don't, it doesn't take away one iota from the fact that God has prepared a place for us that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to invite Eric and uh, Corey to come up on stage. They're going to help me out with something. Small spattering of applause for my people helping me out there. So I, I want to illustrate this just in a way that I hope will kind of crystallize the, uh, the message today. Uh, this is Corey. I've known Corey for years, maybe decades. Um, Corey used to work at my favorite guitar store in Tulsa, Guitar House of Tulsa. And um, back when I was just a, a kid, I would walk in, and he would let me play expensive guitars that I had no means or intention of buying. And yet he would just, he, he would let me do it, you know, and so he would... He would say, hey, man, it's all right, and let me play the guitar. And uh, so, you know, because of that, I now have a, 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 an addiction to guitars. I probably need a blue chip. You know, it's, it's just, it's really bad. But, um, man, so I've known Corey for a long time. So Corey is going to represent, and this Corey represents all of us. He just represents us, okay? And because I'm very prideful, I'm going to represent God in this scenario. And so um, d- did you know right, right here, th- this was always God's design for us? That in the Garden of Eden, this, this was his design, that, that, he would, that he would walk with us, that, that he would fellowship with us, 
that, that he would know us and that, 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 we, that it would be this, just side by side, us and God, just relationship with him. That this, this is God's design. This is God's plan right here. Problem happened is that sin entered into the picture. And so, so much there. Take that side of it. And so this rope represents sin. And what happened was when, when Adam sinned, what, what did he do? He, he, he tried to cover up what had happened. He tried to pass blame. And none of us have ever covered up or passed blame onto someone else that, that wasn't ours. You know, oh, well, it's not mine. It's their fault that this happened. But every time that that happened, what happened was distance entered in to our relationship with God. And so we took a step back. And every time we lie and every time we try to cover it up, what happens is distance enters into our relationship with God and we take a step back. And every time that, that we get angry and every time we blow up and we say those words that we wish we could take back and you just blow up at your kid or you blow up at your spouse, what happens is distance enters into our relationship with God and others and we take a step back. Or every time that we look at someone in the way we... we Ought not to, man. Someone is showing up at your work, and man, he's been doing push-ups, and all of a sudden he's looking a little more swollen. He's got a raise, and man, look at that car he's driving. Or that that girl shows up at your office or shows up in your class, and oh my gosh, what is she wearing, man? She is looking good, and you are thinking thoughts that you know you shouldn't. Maybe you're married, and you're thinking thoughts that you know you shouldn't. We take a step back because it damages our relationship with God and damages our relationship with others. And every time that we are, are jealous of one another and Oh my gosh, did you see where they're going for vacation? They went to Disney World, and I can't take my kids to Branson, you know? And look at them with their Mickey Mouse hat on, and the good for them, man. I hope they, you know, it's like all the, we take a step back because it damages our relationship with God and with others. Every time we do things that we know we shouldn't, we take a step back. When we're on the internet and we go to websites that we know we shouldn't, we take a step back back every time we're bitter or we hold unforgiveness towards someone for things that they do or we hold a grudge. What does it do? It damages our relationship with God and we take a step back. And before you know it, what's happened is sin has created distance between us and God and between us and others in our life. And the problem is no matter what we do, we can't get rid of of this, that we can try to cover it up, that we can try to be better people, that we can try to live with more discipline, that we can say, I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to be stronger next time. I'm going to make a better choice next time. But no matter how much resolve we try to have, this never goes away. It's always there. And we don't have an answer to the sin problem in ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough. We can't behave enough. We can't serve enough. We can't volunteer enough. We can't give enough. Nothing we do can cover this because God is still a God of justice, and he's still a God of righteousness. He still has to have a standard that he set. So what did God do? He sent Jesus and I've asked Pastor Eric to be Jesus because he's like the most Christ-like man I know. And so what Jesus did is Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took sin on himself. And he bore the price that we could not pay. And he took our shame. And he took our shortcomings. And he took our failures. 
and he took the areas of our weakness and he took our grossness and he took our lying and he took our covering up and he took our betrayal and he took it all and he put it on himself. He lived the life that we could not live. He paid the price that we could not pay and he covered himself and God poured out his judgment not on us as we deserved but poured it out on Jesus and Jesus took the price that we could not pay for ourselves. And what happens is as Jesus has taken it on himself, then all of a sudden the distance between God and man has been breached. And we can have fellowship with God again. Why? Not because you're good enough, not because you're strong enough, but because of what Jesus has done. Church, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the message of the cross. It begins with his love. It centers around the work of Jesus and it results in eternal life where we can have restoration and we can have fellowship with God Almighty. Can we give Eric and Corey a hand?